Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, how to get it just right. Today we're going to be talking about a very, very important issue, healthcare. A lot of times the word healthcare is used without a real understanding of what health and care mean, especially in systems where it is treatment of symptoms and maintaining of symptoms for profiteering, of pharmaceuticals, for healthcare industry, organizations, and so on and so forth. And we are at a critical time where healthcare service providers, patients, taxpayers, everybody is concerned about how do we get health care with care, with empathy and humanity just right so that we have quality of life and joy in the process for all stakeholders, not just for those who are making the profit. And to have this important conversation with me is Dr. Todd Utten. Todd, welcome to Unleash in a Goldilocks. Such an honor to have you. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Happy Saturday to everyone. Beautiful. Now, Dr. Otten, you have been a medical doctor, healthcare service provider, and something in your journey made you realize and triggered a series of events that you started questioning the existing system and started working on transforming it. Can you take us briefly through the process of what got you here and what gave you the realization that something's got to change? Absolutely. So, yeah, when I talk about my why, I, I, there's really three components to it, I would say. Um, the first one for me was having lived through burnout. Um, it, for those that haven't uh, endured it, it is it's just it's a horrendous experience and and the big problem with it 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 not only affects the individual but there's this cascading effect of everyone around you including your patients um you definitely can't give your best so that that's the first component to it uh the second component to it was i've had the unfortunate experience to have lost three colleagues in my career including my partner uh to suicide um so that, that's a second big component to it. And then the third part was it became a daily experience um, near the tail end of my clinical days when I was seeing patients of seeing the frustrations that individuals were having to go through, um, making choices about whether to buy their food or get their medicine or pay their mortgage or what have you. The financial burdens were just crushing for many. And, and the frustrations of navigating the healthcare landscape were, were just as equally problematic. And so that was the third component. And this energy started to build. Fortunately, um, as part of my catharsis from burnout, I started writing. And that led to uh, you know the book Ripple of Change that I wrote with one of my uh, former patients. And, and so now I, I go around talking about positive disruption and, and making a ruckus and, and blowing up silos and all these other things. Um, and it's been, it's been a blast, you know, talking with new people. So, so yeah, uh, hopefully that wasn't uh, too long winded. No, 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 no. So this is fantastic. So you have gone from being a burp, optimistic, idealistic young practitioner 
who is going to transform healthcare and the way people felt your patients to getting burned out. And now you are a disruptor and a good troublemaker. Good troublemaker, <laughs> right? That, that's, so, a, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. So, and your personality fits that, right? I can see the, you know, excitement and fun and yet the serious nature in which you are questioning the status quo. What within you gave you the courage to do that? Because a lot of times folks who have gone through these professional routes, who've invested a lot of years to study, get all the credentialing, get established, identify themselves with that profession, that just walking away and doing something different, even if it is positive disruption, they can't mentally and emotionally get there. How did you get there? Because you might be an inspiration and a positive trigger for others to just test the waters and do what their purpose calls them to do. Yeah, it is. It takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to basically tell your employer where they could take their job and, and stick it, if you will. Um, you know, but it had been building, uh, for me at least, with the frustrations. And, and for me, fortunately, I had a little bit more financial freedom to be able to make some more bold decisions, I suppose. But I think for my colleagues, the reality is you can get a job anywhere. I, you know, you don't have to be have that fear of the paycheck, if you will. And, and I, think, I think that's overstated at times, and, and people need to realize that there's help out there. There's other opportunities. You know, LinkedIn's a wonderful um, avenue for meeting new people. But to, to answer your question, it, it was like, it was just one more thing. And I said, you know what? I am in a position where I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to stand up for my family. I'm going to stand up for my colleagues. And I'm going to stand up for patients. And literally, a decision was made to move my clinic. And I resigned the next morning. Uh, I stayed on for five months because I didn't want to walk away from my patients. I wanted to transition them as best I could. And frankly, I don't think the administration really believed me even for another two months. Um, <laughs> it, it, it took two months to send a letter to my patients saying I was leaving. Uh, it was almost comical at times. But yeah, I think somewhere deep down, my purpose had changed from caring for the individual patient in front of me to trying to make a bit an impact on a much larger scale. And, and that moment was almost like a switch that was flipped. Um, so I look back with it, you know, bittersweet for sure, but now I am loving what I'm doing, um, talking with people, advocating, um, sharing information. I, I shared a post last week about uh, prior authorization reform in New Jersey and just got a, a wonderful response. And that fills up my cup and, and I love it. Wonderful work you're doing. And as a full-time caregiver to a Louis Dementia patient husband in corporate finance, where we too don't get time off because everybody needs to know at all times what's going on with their money, right? So burnout is common. Caregiving is a necessity and navigate this, navigating the system is like walking through land of IEDs. So looking at the book you wrote with your patient, looking at the quadruple aim, you talk about the patient experience, the quality care, the need for lower cost, and most of all, 
provide a wellness. When the provider is not well, it flows into the attitude and the care the patient gets and the information the patient's family gets to navigate this. How did you come about writing the book with a patient? Oh. And what may, I mean, I can see what made you integrate provider wellness given some of the suicides and other things and the burnout you've been through, but I want to hear it in your words. How did that come about and how did the experience further fuel your need to move forward in a different direction? Absolutely. So I was an early adopter with the quadruple aim in part I, I took it on in 2016 and for a while I, I joked that I was an army of one at my hospital talking about provider wellness um, but after a while it got a lot of traction and it was amazing we had a two or three year stretch at a rural access um, hospital where retention was high the staff was doing well and, and the, the amazing part of it is when those things are happening patients want to be there and so, of course, the finances followed right along for the hospital. And so <clears throat> that that's how the I got really just adopted the quadruple aim. And then in terms of getting Joshua Judy involved, who Joshua had been one of my patients for uh, 13 years in total. And when I was coming out of burnout, um, I had written a poem called Medicine is a World of Grey, which is a little bit dark, but it gave a really kind of pulled back the curtain as to some of the feelings that I had had uh, during that period and some of the things that go on. But Joshua was also struggling a lot from cervical radiculopathy and pain management. And we had tried all sorts of things for him, traction, physical therapy, different medications and what have you. So I take Cymbalta for post-concussive headaches, for neuropathic pain. And so I had offered it to Joshua. Um, unfortunately, he just had devastating side effects from it, just devastating side effects from it. So you talk about, you know, complete, I show everybody the, the little yin and yang here, the yin and yang capsule. You talk about a cl complete divergent response, made my headaches go away and completely messed him up. So I was trying other things with him and I told him about the project. I told him about the quadruple aim and he said, well, what should I write about? And literally, I just told him to just write. And he did. And what he wrote was amazing. We had a meeting. And from there, it went from this project to try and bridge the gap between clinicians and administration to a project that we feel can touch everyone and inspire and empower everyone. Um, so that's kind of the short version of it. And we've become very good friends as a result. And um, it was cathartic for the both of us, too. So you talk about kind of this cool crazy road to writing this book um there you go so as you're talking about it what is fascinating for me is you have looked at the profession what's broken in the profession in the even in the absence of psychological safety in your environment you have dared to rise above and challenge and ask those difficult questions but you also brought in a patient to do take this journey with you, illustrating how diversity of thought, diversity of perspective, diversity of experience makes the conversation richer at a time where diversity, inclusion, and equity seems like a bad word for half the country. And you're living in one of those regions that are not super liberal that will embrace change. 
how do you navigate this and how do you see the different perspectives needed to make the change oh i i i i couldn't say that any better than you just did we have got to get activated patients on board from every walk of life to unwind some of this mess that we currently exist in um the inequities and the disparities that exist break my heart um i, I just did a um a, a live twitter space with um the movie medicine man um which is the story of stan brock who is an actor that uh created remote area medical and think about it the richest country in the world we have literally medical trucks going around to service people with free health care because of the inequities that exist and frankly up until a month or so ago i hadn't even heard of that um community and they do amazing work and so to, to answer the question i think the more people that have the courage to speak up from different walks of life to say where the problems lie it's going to hopefully empower even more people to make the the, the change that is needed desperately needed absolutely and that line of thinking is the only thing that is going to change the way health care care being the operative word truly is brought to the forefront because what we have right now is not healthcare as an immigrant coming into the united states from a poor developing nation sri lanka i grew up with taxpayer funded healthcare and taxpayer funded education that means if i had the skills and capabilities and competencies i could have become a brain surgeon on taxpayer money and some or if i were a patient and i needed brain surgery that would be provided based on taxpayer money and that's not just for the citizens the fact that you exist on our soil as a living breathing human being it's your basic human right and that is so in so many countries in the world including poor countries and i am baffled at how the richest country in the world cannot give the two most mission critical services to people on a tax funded basis because when people have a clear mind and good health they can figure the rest out you don't have to do anything else what would it take for us to shape our public policy and get to a place where health care is primary and it is not gender based it is not race based it is not geography or zip code based yeah that's a that's a wonderful question and there's not an easy answer to that for sure i think a lot of people would point to universal health care or taxpayer health care as, as you say there are going to be a lot of obstacles to getting there in this country uh, based on the you know some of the historical legacy that exists if you will but ultimately you're i think you're right policy change at the highest level to shake things up is really what's probably going to need, need to happen um and so th the more we have these grassroots um efforts such as you know stand up i've got my medicine forward shirt on and i'm the the chief impact officer uh, you know an unpaid position but i love it because it allows me to have these conversations and and create the connectivity so i think the more we can align these groups you know imagine it's, it's one thing to have one person saying something but imagine if we had millions of people saying the same thing and they weren't afraid to say the same things 
I think that's when we're going to really start to see some change happen. And so I think the, the connectivity between all these groups, which is part of what we're working on, is going to be key to doing that. Absolutely. And as you are talking about, it's going to take all of us and everybody talking about this. Alu Gatri's Alice's Restaurant, my family's Thanksgiving song comes to mind, right? And if everybody is talking about it, there is bound to be change. How do we get people from their focus, their worries, their concerns, their at race to engage in this conversation? Because solving this problem will lighten everybody's load. But the powers that may be are counting on the fact that everybody's too busy running the rat race, they won't step to look. Well, that's a I think that's a fantastic point. And, and one of the things I talk about with Medicine Forward is, is the capacity for time, talent, or treasure, right? And, and, and you don't necessarily need to give of yourself in all those capacities, but, you know, maybe, maybe you can donate some time somewhere. Maybe you donate some time with a group like Remote Area Medical, or maybe you do what I'm doing, advocacy work, or maybe you just make a small donation, a dollar or two, even to a group that is doing these things. So everybody can play their part. And, and that's where Joshua and I were very intentional with uh, the book. Actually, excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. Um, not literally, figuratively. <laughs> um, but, you know, with the, with the cover, you know, with the caduceus touching the water, the idea is that if everybody can do something, and maybe it's just a conversation, or, or, or maybe, like I said, maybe it's a donation, or maybe it's when you're you're going to the voting polls, you look at who is paying attention to healthcare, right? Um, but if everybody creates a little bit of a ripple, all of a sudden, we just don't have water moving like this. We've got waves, or maybe a tsunami of change, as I say in the book. Um, so yeah, I, I think if everybody does a little bit of something, and that's, and that's really what we try to do is to inspire and empower people. Um, and maybe it's how you interact with your pro your provider, or your physician in, in the office. You know, maybe they're staring at their electronic medical record, the EMR, and and you're trying to get their attention. Joshua actually asked his new uh, physician how their day was going, and it like totally reframed the conversation um, in a good way, right? They they stopped looking at their computer, they looked up at him, and I believe they said, "No, you know, no one's ever asked me that." Or maybe you write your physician a thank you card. You know, maybe they're struggling with burnout and you might brighten their day. Those simple acts of kindness and kudos, maybe that's how you play a part, right? Um, mm -hmm. That is a brilliant advice. How do doctors and physicians and surgeons who go through the educational process and come out the other end, believing that they are the only ones with the answer, they are the only ones who know. There is certain amount of God complex in the doctors, having lived through many, many sequences of hospital stays. I have watched the hierarchy. I have watched the egos at play. And how can a system that is creating a power distance-based profession I am the surgeon. I am right. You need to listen to me. Why aren't you listening to me? Why is the patient looking at you instead of looking at me when I'm talking? All of these questions rooted in me. I am the one with the solution. How does that mindset get changed so that they truly can look at themselves 
as a puzzle piece in a larger ecosystem that needs to be self-healing. Yeah, for some, that's going to be very difficult. You know, uh, Joshua writes in the book that there's no place for ego in treatment plans and in healthcare. And I agree with that. I think the best providers are the ones that are willing to say, I don't know, or are willing to ask for help. And these are, again, examples of many silos that exist even just around a provider and how they're interacting with, with other people. Um, that's going to take a lot of conversations and a lot of work. And I think really where you can probably get the most bang for the buck in that regard is really within training programs um, and changing how medical education is. And I know I'm not in an um, educational system currently, but... I have talked with individuals who, how they're being trained now differs very much so from when I went through school 25 years ago, and in a good way. So to answer the question, I, I, I think that's where you'll get the most um, positive result, if you will, in terms of reducing the ego involved in treatment plans and care. Mm -hmm. I love what I'm hearing, Todd, and I also feel like not the patient, but the patient's family that is part of the process can also take on a share of responsibility and speak up and push back and be that reality check because I play that role. Everybody, all, all the doctors and surgeons always ask me, what do you do for a living? And my tongue and cheek answer is normally I get paid for this, but this one is on the house because the patient is my husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Well, and you make a great point, right? Like family members and, and patients themselves advocating, asking questions, not just taking what's delivered to them is that, you know, the absolute truth, if you will, that's okay. Getting another opinion's okay. Going in with a, a bit, I've, I made the comment that, you know, going in with a bit of a synopsis or a one pager of your health to hand the physician or the provider is often a magical moment. I used to appreciate that a ton because it would consolidate everything into a 10 second read for me. Um, and Joshua gives just tons of other tips you can do from the patient perspective to have a better interaction. It's okay to challenge. It's okay to ask questions. And frankly, if the physician or provider is not receptive to that, I think you need to ask questions about, is that relationship right for you? You know, Absolutely. Um, they should Absolutely. be listening to what you're saying. Absolutely. So before I open this up for live conversation with our amazing audience who are joining us from uh, various parts of the world. How can folks get a hold of your book and how can folks get a hold of you to extend the conversation, learn and be a part of this good trouble, happy change making? Absolutely. So uh, the best way to get the book is via our website, which is www.ourquadrupleaim.com. That way, typically, we'll sign the books, both Joshua and I. So if you're into getting the signature on the book, that's the best way to go. But it's also available on Amazon, Google Play, and Barnes & Noble. In terms of getting a hold of me, there are several avenues. I'm very active on LinkedIn, if you're on that platform. But I also have a Twitter or X uh, handle, if you will. I'm on Facebook. And then our email is also on our website as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Todd. I am going to open this up. And I see, Bridget, I see you muting your microphone. So go ahead. I, I, I'm i sorry. I'm on my phone and I can't see you now. <laughs> That's okay. I, I am absolutely blown away by this because it's, it, I don't know whether to laugh or cry because I relate to it on so many levels. First of all, I've 
went through burnout myself and I don't think until you go through it you really understand how um debilitating it is um and secondly I'm here in the UK with an an NHS a, a national health service that's on its knees um and we do offer free health care for everyone um and and I I just find everything that you're talking about so relatable. And yet what's so, so fabulous is kind of like the hope you've given everyone at the end of it. I, that feeling of overwhelming helplessness, um, you have actually given a little hope. We can all do something. And, and I think it's amazing. Um, and I also, um, I will finish in a minute, have a daughter who's studying um, medicine and I'm absolutely terrified for her future career and what what she'll qualify into so um thank you for sharing everything and i can't believe how relatable everything is um you know i, I think you're a complete and utter inspiration well that's wow i i'm humbled and 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 blessed to hear that that that's just wonderful and and thank you i um you know it it took a lot of i guess courage to sort of make your life an open book literally um but the beauty of it is you know in the in the book and obviously i'm biased because I, I helped write it with joshua but there's a lot of information in there that a clinician can take to make their space better and i, I often give one example um we have a chapter called office utopia which was my my final clinic before I stepped away. We had three nurse practitioners and myself, and we literally had six exam rooms for four providers. And despite those limitations, it was amazing. Retention was high. We hardly had any staff turnover. Patients were happy to be there. And a big part of that was when I came back from burnout, I decided we were going to live the quadruple aim, or as I, I call it in the book, our quadruple aim. And I stuck to it. And, you know, that culture that was built, we, we had like a little bubble around us, despite all the mess that was going on in the system. We were having a blast. Um, so it can be done. Um, so I would encourage, you know, you or, or your daughter to, to maybe dig into that component of the book at, at a minimum. Um, and I think it would help. Yes, I am definitely going to buy that. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I am so touched by the opportunity for Bridget's daughter to benefit from this conversation, Todd. So yeah. you can see the impact generationally you are going to be making. And so keep being a good troublemaker because we <laughs> And Dr. Menon, go ahead. I know as a physician and as a practicing surgeon, you have some thoughts to add here. Hi, yeah, actually it was a brilliant segue uh, because Bridget's question was, is kind of a great segue to, to mine. Um, so my question was, is that, you know, I uh, recently uh, changed practices and uh, yet again, and I'm, I'm back as a fledgling new doctor with experience. And I was meeting this younger uh, person, innocent out of uh, residency starting, and he, and he made me uh, remember how excited and how naive I was, you know, at that time. And coming as a physician who also came through burnout and is on kind of starting to come on the uphill of, uh, you know, the, the top of the hill of post-burnout, 
I was wondering if you had any advice for those of us out there who've gone through burnout or are on the other side. When we see these young, um, excitable physicians, to to help them through their excitement and guide them without without snuffing out that that fire to change and to bring new things into the world of medicine. For, for sure. I, I, I think there's three components to that that immediately come to my mind. Uh, I think the first is, the, the and I've said this a few times over the past few months, the power of no. It is okay to say no. We don't have to say yes to everything, you know, and the, our capacity is not infinite as physicians. So you can't wear every hat under the sun. Um, I think that's part of it. I think it's okay to ask for help. There are so many good resources uh, that are available. I can think of one off the top of my head, Dr. Uh, Amna Shabir. We just had her on our podcast. She does coaching for new physicians and attendings. Specifically, that's her target. And, and, and people just aren't aware that these resources um, uh, are available. Um, <clears throat> and I had a third thing, but I, I guess I got too excited. Uh, and maybe I forgot it <laughs> not intentionally. Um, Oh, geez, It'll, it's going to come back to me in a second. So anyways, there's at least two, uh, two thoughts there. <laughs> no, those are, those are two very good thoughts. Thank you so much uh, for that. I mean, I have so many things that we can continue discussing this for like ever and ever, but uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm it, it, just, it just came back to me. Let me jump back in for just a second okay, sorry, here. So, so, the, so the other thing is, is you've got all these wonderful groups that are out there that are good support mechanisms. You know, we were taught to be resilient and do things on our own and be autonomous and all these things. But, you know, groups like Medicine Forward are available. There's a wonderful group on LinkedIn of physicians who are super positive and super supportive. And, and you just have to find them out. And, and, and that these little moments like this, just laughing because I forgot what the third thing was, you know, fills my day up and, and everyone got a bit of a chuckle and, and that's okay. We're all human beings. We have to remember that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm loving this conversation. And before we close, I want to make sure Precious has an opportunity to share her thoughts. She's coming from the perspective of equity and inclusion and people giving the, given the opportunity to embrace diversity in the true sense of the word to transform the world we live in. So take it away, Precious. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to say I appreciate this very much so because your humanity connects with mine. And when I hear you speak, there's a, there's a common thread. And no matter our walk or our profession, that common thread can't be severed. We are all the same in being human. The fact that you call out the truth as far as when, when it comes to being um, overwhelmed, despite any God complex that people can be taught to be, you're acknowledging this is the case um, and you care. And I just think it's so, that's just a main quality because the people who care are emotionally equipped to be able to care. And those are the ones who I want to take care of me or my loved one anyway. Um, but I think that comes from a, having a, a personal self-development, like you've done work on yourself You've um, probably been raised a certain way. Um, you can't get away from that. So you bring yourself to your job. And when things are inappropriate, um, you're, you're not able just to sleep well on that. It's like, mm -mm. it's affecting me. It's affecting others. Something's got to give. Um, but I'll say that personal development is opposite of uh, insecurity. 
I just think a lot of things as far as why people are the way they are and how they self-identify, if so much has to be me, 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 and you just whatever, there's something missing. So I appreciate you bringing your whole self and then not stopping there, doing something with it and collaborating with others who have like minds, um, because we're all in this thing together. We're all in this thing together, but to acknowledge it and then do something about it takes it further and it helps it to grow. Um, and I just appreciate knowing that people like you are out there. Uh, and um, so not just you, it's more. And I'm, I'm appreciative that you brought this to light. And I plan to follow up and, and look up what you have shared uh, with us. But I just want to say thank you. Oh, I, I I love it. That is so wonderful to hear. And you know, just to, to double click on that, I suppose, there are a lot of wonderful people out there as I am networking and talking to individuals, they're there and we need to get them united in their voice to facilitate change. And it just, one other thing with some of your comments, you know, I'm a lifelong learner and I'm having to learn a lot of different things in the last six months that skills and tools that I didn't have a networking class in medical school, just as an example. And so I'm learning all this stuff on the fly. Um, And that's okay. Um, And that's okay. So it's okay to say you don't know. It's okay to challenge the status quo. And, and if you don't want to be the one, the voice, you know, find me. I'll, I'll find someone to connect you with and, and we'll make, we'll rattle some cages. I am so thrilled and happy about our conversation today because if the dream of every human is life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, All three of them are closely tied to health and wellness, physical, mental, psychological, spiritual. And getting this right, working together to get this right, becomes a human endeavor. And Dr. Otten, thank you so much for creating the opportunity to have this conversation, read your book, and propagate this conversation in our circles. I am grateful for the Goldilocks community for showing up time after time to reinforce the need of a community to amplify each other's messages and voices. And as we wrap this up, the call to action is have the courage and build the network to be a happy, productive, good troublemaker. Ask the questions, disrupt the status quo, Because accepting things for the way they are is the start of decline of everything that we deserve and everything those who came before us have built. So please go out there and find the communities to become good, happy troublemakers because we need you. We're going to count on you and we're going to be working with you because we all know we deserve something so much better than this.